Smashed into the net by Kylian Mbappe. Oh, Benyera, beautifully done. Cornet finds Dembele. The first touch is good. The second is deadly. Neymar still. Oh, my word, what a goal. Golovin. Lovely finish. Ajax delivery. Gendouzi's header. And the finish of the near post from Lucas Paqueta. Outrageous goal from Gael Kakuta. Fire again. A goal Messi again. This time, maybe Messi's done it. Hello and welcome to a brand new season of French football. To quote Nasser El Khalifi, welcome to a new era of Le Bourgeois, the official Ligue 1 podcast, the podcast that Les Geeks all listen to, those hardcore fans of French football. We are your go-to podcast each week, analysing all the action both on and off the pitch as soon as it happens in the ever-colourful world of Ligue 1, which includes... Once again, and for the next three years, Kylian Mbappe, who on the last day of last season confirmed that he was sticking around in Lexigon, as we can all understand why. Now, as always, our loyal listeners, we want you to stay in touch. Ask us questions. We know you've missed us for the last two months. We're back and we're ready to uh, give you your fix of everything League. Uh, stay in touch via email, leagueunpodcast at gmail.com or on Twitter with Le Bourgeois at Ligue 1 Podcast, that is, on Twitter for the handle. And of course, subscribe to us, follow us, rate us on Apple, on Spotify, on all your regular podcast platforms. And uh, you may have recognized my voice, the gentle Aussie twang. It's Robbie Thompson behind the microphone. That's because Le Bourgeois host for the last three years, Matt Spiro, is taking a little break from the early morning Monday shifts. That's right, it's the first big transfer news of the new season. But we are hopeful of getting Matt back on board with a few loan spells or guest appearances, a bit like an old footballer, which he is, from the 1970s, and uh, happy to play a few exhibition matches. Having said that, we do have plenty to look forward to and plenty of people with us who will be with us all season. We have Andy Scott, our uh, favourite Scotsman in French football. Andy. How has your holidays been? Been very good, thanks, Robbie. Yeah, it's been. Um, I, I I needed a break. I'm not going to lie. I think it was um, last season was was um, was tough for many reasons, and um, I, yeah, I needed to get away. But I am just refreshed after a, a few days cycling in Burgundy, and then I was uh, lucky enough to commentate the Trophée des Champions between Paris Saint Germain and Nantes last night, which we're going to talk about. And one of the best things about that was that it prevented me from having to sit through England win the Women's Euro. So that was. Um, that was that was a small a small extra benefit. We'll uh, just confirm that it was fantastic to see nearly ninety thousand at Wembley, and uh, the whole tournament was uh, like a coming of age for for women's football after the World Cup in France. And let's not forget the next World Cup is in Australia and New Zealand, and is going to be a great celebration of women's football there as well. Angus, who uh, knows a thing or two about women's football, the local uh, French national team commentator. Here in France as well. Angus, we're talking about Ligue 1 this week. You've got your Monaco top on. What's that all about? Yeah, hi, Robbie. Good to be back again. Uh, well, actually, it's more that it's red and white because I have been blast basking in the glory of England's victory last night and <laughs> every single minute of it. And I was also delighted to see as well France get to the semi-finals for the first time in a major championship. So that was also great. Fantastic. Angus, we'll, we'll look forward to you ripping your shirt off at some point during this uh, podcast and twirling it around around your head. And finally, for uh, all things 
South Coast and our, our latest addition to the podcast, who's going to be a, a more regular contributor this season, Luke Entwistle down on the Côte d'Azur, enjoying the sunshine. Not too hot down there, Luke, I hope. A little bit warm, but nothing I can't cope with. I'm, uh, yeah, very much used to it coming from Bolton. It's, uh, it's a hot place in the world. But yeah, happy to be here this morning. And uh, Luke is going to be uh, one of the main contributors today as well because for AS Monaco, their season is about to get very serious very quickly like it did last season. But before we talk about that, and we're going to, uh, we may have bitten off more than we can chew. We have a very ambitious plan of previewing the entire Ligue 1 season. Apologies in advance for, for anyone in the uh, ventre mou, in the soft gut of uh, Ligue 1 that we don't uh, give a, a full analysis too just uh because time permitting we will be sticking probably today to the big guns and the big stories and and who's coming up and and then of course the uh much highly anticipated predictions towards the end of the show as well to as to what's going to happen in the coming 10 months of uh of league and football but we will start of course with the first match official match of the season it was the trophée des champions last night it finished 4-0 to Paris Saint-Germain, victorious over Nantes, who were the Coupe de France winners for the fourth time in their history last season, coached by the former Paris Saint-Germain coach Antoine Comboare, who has, of uh, recent seasons, had a little bit of the wood on Paris Saint-Germain, a couple of big victories in Ligue 1, including last year at Le Bourgeois for Nantes, but uh, it wasn't to be last night. Andy Scott, you commentated the match for the World Feed. Um, it was impressive for Christophe Galtier's first at the helm of Paris Saint-Germain, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. Um, they, 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 listen, they played really well, you know. I mean, obviously, you expect Paris Saint-Germain to, to beat Nantes, even though, as you said a couple of times, the two of the last three league meetings of the teams, Nantes have come out on top. But um, regardless of that, I thought they played really well. They looked pretty polished, you know, in this new system that Christophe Galtier has immediately brought in a, a back three, a 3-4-1-2. Three, Broadly speaking, a 3-4-1-2 because... Neymar and Messi up front, obviously, with pretty free roles um, last night in particular. Uh, worth pointing out, friend, but you didn't see the game that Kylian Mbappe obviously wasn't there. He was suspended, didn't even come to Israel for the game. And yet without him, without undoubtedly the main man last season, they looked absolutely fine. And, and, and it is worth emphasising just how impressive Neymar and Messi were because... Um, I mean, you know, as, as you touched on, I've, I've, I've had a holiday. I've had a, quite a long break away from... Uh, following the football day today, but I spent a bit of time kind of catching up on the headlines um, at one point in my holiday. And there was a period of about a week to 10 days where it seemed the only story was Neymar was, you know, were the club willing to to accept an offer for him? And then he came out and said during the tour of Japan that he wanted to stay. Um, and that was a very encouraging display from him last night. Messi was excellent. You know, Messi rarely last season looked like the player he had been at Barcelona. I thought last night it was much more along those lines. A great goal for anybody who's not seen it yet. He got the man of the match award, although Neymar set up his goal and scored a free kick that he had won, scored a penalty that he had won. So, you know, maybe Neymar should have got that award. But the two big stars on the night were excellent. Uh, it was a polished display and, and they were well worth the win. It's the first piece of silverware for Christophe Galtier and, and, and a great start to the season for PSG. Angus, you, you commentated PSG for their final match of the season. You saw all the just how important it was for, for Paris Saint-Germain to re-sign Kylian Mbappe and, and the, the atmosphere that day. When you see how Messi and Neymar played last night, when you add Kylian Mbappe to that, we know it didn't really click last season. Mbappe was 
I think I had a, I was having a look at the stats as well, Andy. Kylian Mbappe, 39 goals last season for PSG. Next highest, 13 for Neymar. Yeah. Now that's a big gap back. Kylian Mbappe basically shouldered all the attacking responsibility. And and just just to Go. just to just to cut in there, actually, Neymar's 13 goals. I think I'm right in saying that nine of them came after they'd been knocked out of the Champions League by Real Madrid, by which point, you know, the season was kind of um was kind of winding down and it, a lot of people had kind of lost interest. So, you know, that gives you an idea as well of, of the gulf between Mbappe and everybody else and, and just the, the the extent to which Neymar and Messi were not quite on it, at least until the last few weeks of last season. Yeah, Neymar, he scored 11 goals in his last 10 matches. So it just goes to show you what he can do if he actually gets fit and actually plays more often. And this has always been the problem with Neymar is that when he's playing, he's brilliant but he's just not available enough of the time. And I think this has particularly hurt them in the Champions League. I think Messi is also, he had a very good finish to the season as well. He scored that wonderful goal against Lance that actually won them the title, even though it was slightly underwhelming because they drew 1-1 and the crowd at the end, or the ultras at least, left before the game to celebrate on their own outside. But I think that his, he's starting to show signs now that he's beginning to bed in. We can't forget that, you know, when he was at Barcelona, the entire team was built around him. As whereas now he's come to Paris Saint-Germain, he's having to fit in with another type of system. And we also saw him with Argentina. It was never quite the same thing as it was for Barcelona. So I think that he needed that season to bed in. Let's not forget all of the assists that he uh, came up with last season as well. It wasn't just about goals. Mbappe might have grabbed the headlines, but he had over 10 assists in that league season as well. And I'm looking for big things from Messi in the next campaign. And I think that there's a new generation coming through as a youngster called uh, Warren Zaya Emery, who could be very exciting and could be the revelation of the season later on. Um, a few of the players are leaving. Angel Di Maria is not there anymore. There's a few more who seem to be being edged towards the, uh, the, the trap door as well. And I think there's going to see a very different Paris Saint-Germain now that Luis Campos and Christophe Galtier have come in. Okay, I'm just going to go to Luke in a moment about one of the big changes. But it, I'm always curious about that, the idea of changes and, and players leaving. because And I say it on the pod every, every season, and, and Andy in particular will be sick of hearing it. But, but it is very hard to get rid of these players from Paris Saint-Germain. They are on excellent wages. Nobody else can match the wages around, around Europe, unfortunately, for Paris Saint-Germain. And they do have a massive squad of players. I mean, the list of players that didn't even travel to Israel to be part of this squad is, you know, there are World Cup winners, there are European champions, there are, there are players that have won European trophies with their clubs. I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a who's who almost of of footballers that that don't travel and it will be very difficult for for Luis Campos to get rid of them but one of the men who who seems to be using he's got plenty of league experience and he's using his touch already to great effect is Christophe Galtier the new coach now Luke will have followed Christophe Galtier being a a Côte d'Azur man himself we know he's a, a more or less Monaco but you can't uh deny the impact that Nice have had over the last few seasons down south, and, and Luke's been following that closely as well. Christophe Galtier, there was some scepticism when he was appointed as coach of PSG. Luke, what do you make of, of his arrival, and what have you seen so far, and do you think the, the noises coming out of the Paris squad are, are one for good for the future and good for PSG? Yeah, I think some of that scepticism is slightly well-founded. I mean, you look at the reaction of the Nice fans and, and people around the club, and they weren't upset to see him go. Uh, I think there's kind of 
the overriding feeling that things in Nice didn't necessarily go how people thought they would. Maybe that is largely because uh, he was brought in with a style of play. He plays 4-4-2 and expected to play another way. You know, it seems like when he's brought in, he said, you know, I can make these players work within this system. And obviously it went brilliantly for the first half of the season. And then there's that very sudden, uh, yeah, very sudden drop off as soon as you got into the new year. And from especially February onwards, loads of those players started to look lost, you know, especially Amin Aguirre, who, who looked great in the first half of the season. Just he just couldn't get a tune out of them anymore. But yeah, the first signs here are quite positive. Um, there's been a few reports of kind of his man management. He's not going, you know, having one-on-one interviews with people. It's all very casual. He's talking about breaking up cliques within the squad, which I think is seems like potentially quite an important thing at PSG. Um, so the signs are good. The first performance is very positive. He is um, showing a certain level of flexibility. He's not going with that 4-4-2. Obviously, a 4-4-2 um, would not work with this uh, PSG size. So it's a very necessary change, but it's one nonetheless that he has made and that he's unwilling to make at Nice. So I think what what PSG will require from him is a certain level of tactical flexibility, which he's shown himself unwilling to do that recently. But um, yeah, the, the first signs here are that he's willing to change things. But I still see the issues. You talk about changes, we're talking about a change of project. I still see an issue of having not got enough players out the door already. We're talking about Di Maria and, and Ariola who have both left. Uh, I think there's still something like 11 players on that list of undesirables. Um, and if you're going to want this change of project, I think you really need to commit to it in, in a, you know, more than they currently are because it seems like, obviously, you talk about people not wanting to leave, people on too high wages. Uh, I mean, one of them was on the pitch yesterday, is Paredes, who has been very much linked with a, with a departure. But it seems that PSG is still wanting full whack for all those players and I think at this point, if you're going to really commit to this change of projects and you say, right, we're going to clear the deck and, and rebuild it, uh, I think you need to accept lower fees for some of these players that this is asking, you know, 30 million potentially for 30 million euros that is for Paredes. Uh, I think that's, you know, maybe just a bit unrealistic. But the signs are positive, even though they are just early signs. I'm not even sure it's a, a question of transfer fees. It's just trying to offload the players with their wages. I mean, it's so hard for them to 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 agree personal terms with clubs. And that's why... We're seeing a, a lot of loan options where Paris Saint-Germain are, are being obliged to shoulder, mm. you know, 50, 60, 70% of, of salaries just to get a little bit out of it, Andy. Yeah, and, and it's, it's, uh, there's also the aspect, uh, and I think this may apply to perhaps, Robert, you know a bit more about his, uh, his personal life situation than I do, but Julian Draxler, you know, it's often said about him that he is just really happy in Paris. You know, he doesn't want to leave the city. And I think that sometimes is something that people don't really think about. The idea that um, a guy uh, would would want to go from what is a wonderful city with all the attractions beyond football and go and play for a club in another city without the same attractions, shall we say, um, is maybe not attractive to these guys. You know, they get huge wages. They have, they have wonderful opportunities beyond football here. And in a way... Why should they go? And 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 obviously, from a, the, the point of view of a supporter, they see it differently, which is understandable. But what will end up happening at PSG is that they will, you know, they're going to have to. I think one of the guys who came on the field last night, we're going to see him leaving. Arno Kalimuendo is a target for a number of clubs. He's been linked with uh, Nice. He's been linked with Rennes. He's been linked very strongly with Leeds United in England as well. He's a player who they can bring in a big transfer fee for, uh, and and they will probably let him go. They have other options up front. I think that's a shame because. When we talk about the new project at PSG, one of the things that has been emphasised is this idea of having more 
young players, more players from the Paris region uh, coming through and being part of the first team squad. Well, there's a guy, Kelly Moendo, an academy product who's done really well in Liga in the last two years on loan at Lens. This could be the season where you make him a part of the rotation up front and instead they're probably going to have to end up selling him because they can't very easily get rid of the guys that they really do want to get rid of. So, you know, a new project, but same it, it problems. Is, it is a tough one, Andy. It is a tough one, isn't it, to, to say we're going to play Bichiabu at the back, a, a 16-year-old European under-17 champion instead of Sergio Ramos or instead of Presnel Kimpembe, who are both World Cup winners. I mean, yeah. it's not easy to play these kids. Angus was was covering PSG in pre-season and saw this this 16-year-old, Warren Zaire Emery, who, who looks a fantastic player as well, travelled to Israel, wasn't in the team sheet, wasn't on the, on, on the match day squad for the, the Trophée des Champions. But you've only got two central midfielders. One of them you've just brought in is a Portuguese international in, in Vitinha, who you've paid top dollar for, who looks like a p- potential star of the future. The other is Marco Verratti, who's been at the club for a decade, is one of the best midfielders in the world. Where are you going to play these guys? Plus, you've got you've got other players on the bench who want to play that position. South American champion Paredes, who you spoke about. There's an African champion in in Idrissa Ghana Gay, who who could also be leaving. But I mean, it's a real conundrum. You've got these young players, and I admit Kalimwendo is perhaps one. But again, where do you who do you drop to play Arno Kalimwendo? And that's the 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 real thing that that Galtier that the club have to address, and the supporters have been asking that the club to address this for, for seasons now. Well, just just on that, you, I mean, one thing you could say about Kali Muenda, I know he's not the same type of striker per se, but they've signed Ugo Ekitike, uh from Rance. He's one of the, the three signings they've brought in. You mentioned uh, Vitina. There's also Nordi Mukiele, who, who comes in from RB Leipzig, and who is a sensible buy because he can back up Hakimi in the right wing-back role. And you mentioned Ramos. He can also play as the right-sided centre-back Mukiele. So a very sensible move to sign him and, and relatively cheap as well, about 12 million euros they've paid to Leipzig for him. Um, but in terms of, you know, Ekitike is a very curious one. I have to say, um, Rance allowed him to go on loan to Paris. There is an agreement in place for that move to become permanent uh, next summer. And the understanding is that it's almost guaranteed, essentially, that, that, that they will pay a transfer fee of about 35 million euros next year for him. But quite why Rance are willing to let Ekitike go on loan to PSG for a year, even if, it's probably going to become permanent. I just don't understand it. And and from a PSG point of view, yes, he's a really exciting talent. I know Matt raved about him constantly last season. But, you know, you, you have got a player like Calimuendo, uh, and now he's being pushed out. So it, it, sometimes there are curious decisions, but, yeah, it's, it's still a lot of work to be done for, for Luis Campos uh, in the next few weeks before was, the transfer window thinking- shuts. I was, I was just thinking word. about the, the yeah. whole ATK Kevin Wendo. Uh, obviously, the whole way through that transfer, it seemed as though it would be a transfer. There wasn't really talk of it being a loan. I just wonder if there's a, a last-minute change of heart maybe on PSG's side, almost for them to potentially keep Kevin Wendo and almost pit them off each other just to see who's best. You know, if it doesn't work out with Ekitike, then there's not an obligation to buy of, even though I think there's maybe... Yeah, I, I think there are maybe ways that that does become an obligation. And as you say, the understanding is that it would be come permanent. But I wonder if there is an element of thinking at PSG that if Callum Wendo and Ekatike almost piss it off against each other and Callum Wendo comes off as, as the better option, whether or not they just don't exercise that option to buy uh, Ekatike next summer. Well, it's similar to the, the, the deal that brought Kylian Mbappe, isn't it, to, to PSG, which was a loan as well. And, and it's look, there, there are so many financial wranglings that go on in, in all these transfer deals. I think if, if PSG take a player on loan, you can pretty much accept that it's a, a transfer just uh, 
with some sort of way of making all the figures fit to uh to, <laughs> to ensure and and plus let's not forget that PSG need local players they need french players they need players that have come through the french system to ensure that they have a, a full 25 man squad for the the champions league as well which brings me to the final point on PSG and the question we always have to ask very quickly to the three of you can PSG win the Champions League? And why? Luke, you go first. You have 45 uh, seconds. Next. I think they can. I do think um, they certainly can. I'm not going to say it's going to be their year, but I think uh, there is still a lack of a clear front runner for that Champions League this year. I think Messi have embedded in. Neymar looking positive and seemingly, uh, once again, within the plans, I think will do the world a good for his confidence. And obviously Mbappe, they've got the best forward line in the world. If they can get things right a bit further back, uh, I don't see why they can't at least challenge and be amongst the top three or four uh, teams challenging. So I'd say at least a semi-final is, is the minimum this year and they could go all the way. Angus, 35 seconds for you. I can do it in more than that. Less than that, rather. <laughs> I, I think um, they need uh, Neymar to uh, to stay fit. Uh, they need him to contribute much more. I think Messi, the one good thing you saw from him last season is that his scoring did continue in the Champions League. He needs uh, the others to step up with him. They need to stop making silly mistakes at the back as well, which uh, cost them dearly, particularly towards the end when they capitulated completely against Real Madrid. They need a bit more backbone, basically. And if they get that, then yes, why not? Very good. Andy, Angus has won you an extra 10 seconds. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean, of course they can win the Champions League. It's, it's a long way off. I mean, we've got to get through World Cup and, and, and all the rest of it. It's going to be, I mean, we're going to touch on this, I imagine, in, 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 the, in the rest of the show, but it's going to be a very strange season with the World Cup interrupting things. But of course they can win it. I mean, on paper, they're one of the five or six teams at most who are uh, among the contenders. I guess the one question mark is... is which has been um, pointed out is Christophe Galtier's uh, lack of European experience. But let's see how he gets on. But certainly the, the players they have and the resources they have, there's no question that they are contenders to win it. Okay, Andy, a word on FC Nantes before we move on. They brought in a World Cup winner in Moussa Sissoko. They've also brought in Mustafa Mohamed, Egyptian striker on loan from Galatasaray. Evan Gessond, who was, uh, who's on loan from Nice after being on loan in Switzerland as well, where he had a good season. They've lost, however, Colomwani, who was uh, their big draw card last mm. year. And there's talk that Ludovic Blas could be on his way out as well if uh, if they get a good offer. What can we expect from Nantes last year, who I think turned a few heads and raised a few eyebrows. Antoine Comboire did a fantastic job with them last year. Yeah, well, I think Ludovic Blas is important because he's a marvellous player, really, really impressive. And, and actually, last night, they... Um, you know they were they were well beaten, but when they did get forward in the first half, two or three occasions, they looked really dangerous. And Blas was at the heart of that. Set up one chance, um, nearly scored with a terrific shot, which Donnarumma saved. And you know if if they do lose, and this is the problem, it's the first of August. There's another month to go in the transfer window. They've only lost Kolomuani, and they knew that was going to happen. But if Blas goes as well, then they would have a problem. At the moment, I think they're looking at probably mid-table again. I think they want to just make sure they're safe. There's going to be four relegations this season because the league has been reduced to 18 teams for next season. That's another thing we're going to we're going to touch on in more detail. But three plus one, I think it is, and 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 therefore yeah. you, it's going to be even harder to make sure you're safe. Um, and that's going to be their focus. And and they've got a Europa League campaign to come as well. That's going to be great. You know, the European nights at the Stade de la Bourgeoisie. The fans will look forward to that. And I think as long as they sort of do themselves proud in Europe and keep themselves safe in the league, they can be happy. 
All right. Well, that's just about it for us to... No, just kidding. That's PSG and Nantes done. That's one match out of the way. We do have another 19 teams to get through. Let's start with Olympique de Marseille, who finished second last year. Don't forget to get in touch if you have a favourite football club in Ligue 1 that you want us to discuss. If you have an issue you want discussed, get on the email to us, ligue1podcast at gmail.com or via Twitter. And of course, we're going to have Deja Who coming up, the first of the new campaign as well. Um, Luke, you first. Once again, being our man in the South, Marseille are very much the leaders in the South. They had a good season last year. Uh, and then all change. Jorge Sampaoli out. Igor Tudor in. He's already picked a fight with a couple of the Sampaoli signings. Uh, and it looks as though tumultuous Marseille are back to their best. What on earth is going on down there? Yeah, I mean, I'm very worried about Marseille this season. As um, I had, you know, with Andy, I had a few conversations about this last year. And I think I kind of talked him around to this idea that Marseille wouldn't qualify for the Champions League uh, by the final weekend, even though they did scrape it. Uh, but I think I've got taught people around to that. But I think this year, yeah, I'm really worried for them again because it's a tumultuous club. Everyone knows that. But um, and I, I think you know, Igor Tudor's in that same in that same you know uh, mold as San Paoli. But you really look at Tudor's record and you don't see anything extraordinary there. And then you you start looking through the squad and you see the departures of Saliba and you see the kind of discord that seems to be running through the club with Bamba Dieng seemingly not happy. Um, he looks like he could be off as well, and 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 he had shown good promise. Uh, Paye is another year older. Uh, they've got Champions League football. They've not really strengthened in terms of depth. It looks like Luan Perez could be off as well, and he was a mainstay in that side. I just kind of look all the way through that squad and just see them on that Tuesday or Wednesday, and then weekend fixture list, and just it, it doesn't make good reading really. And I, I am worried for them. It, maybe not secure in Champions League football, but maybe not secure in any European football next season. I think they could see a bit of a drop-off. And um, we'll see how it goes with Igor Tudor. But, I mean, he, his kind of biggest spell was in charge of Galatasaray, where he didn't win any silverware. And Hellas Verona last year, he, he took them to mid-table. Uh, nothing really to write home about. And obviously, he left at the end of the year. So, we'll, we'll see um, what he can bring. But preseason hasn't looked particularly positive and it seems like not everything is uh not everyone is happy at that club at the minute on an interesting side note Igor Tudor actually arrived with Mauro Camaranesi the uh the Argentine born Italian World Cup winner from 2006 who left after about 48 hours which was a, a strange strange appointment and then and then I don't even actually know if he officially signed anything Camaranesi but he he wasn't certainly wasn't on the viewport long enough to have signed anything. They, they've they lost Radonjic officially now to Italian football, but also Stev Mondonda has left the club after years and years. It was a very difficult season for him last year. Bubakar Kamara as as well, who was uh, one of the, the, the draw cards at the back. They have brought in Jonathan Klaus. Angus, quickly, Marseille, how do you see their season going? Well, first of all, uh, Luke was basically Ignatius Ganego injury time goal away from being right, to be honest with you, um, last season. So uh, I don't think we can really lay that at his door. Um, Marseille, uh, I don't think they'll be second this season. Uh, I think that um, they were a little fortunate. I think the change of coach, just when we thought Jorge Sampaoli was going to be there for a while, in classic Marseille style, um, he left. And now all of a sudden, they're virtually starting again. There's uh, William Saliba at the back be a problem as well uh so they've got to sort of do the defense 
again. And uh, I think the one good thing is that with um, Dimitri Payet being almost exclusively their conduit coming forward, the addition of Jonathan Close down the flanks will be a massive plus for them. I mean, he set up, uh, I think it was only Mbappe who had more assists than him last season. He made his France international debut. His form fell off a little bit since then. But I mean, you know, form, as they say, is temporary and class is permanent. And he's fabulous. So it could be um, the way of getting Milik back into the um, the way of things again after a very difficult season from him. He uh, fell out several times with Marseille, including San Paoli, because he wasn't playing enough. However, Marseille do tend to thrive on this kind of... Um, almost as if they demand it, actually. Uh, they don't like things to be calm and serene. So I think that uh, to, to draw that all up, no, they won't be second. And I think Luke might be right that this time they might well miss out on uh, the Champions League altogether. Andy, last night they lost 2-0 to AC Milan. And uh, Igor Tudor, who speaks very fine Italian, said in the post-match press conference that there was a gulf in class between the two sides. Fortunately, Milan don't play in Liga for Marseille's stakes. But uh, what do you expect from Marseille this term? Yeah, I think probably along the same lines. I mean, um, it's obviously going to be hard for them to to finish in the same place again, not just because they've had a tumultuous summer, but because other teams are strengthening and trying to catch them. Um, but you know, they, 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 they've got the they've got the they've got the support, they've got the passion, and all these things will still be there. And the addition of Champions League football is going to be. A challenge for them, and it, you know, I'd, I'd just really like to see Marseille make a better fist of playing these Champions League um, group stage games because the last two or three campaigns in that competition have been utterly dreadful. They've, they've, they've just been rotten, and that's been such a shame. And that is at the core of why San Paoli left, right? Because he wanted he wanted um, signings who would really improve the team to the extent they could really make a fist of it in Europe and continue to compete in the league. He clearly didn't see that coming. Um, and, you know, th- there is probably inevitably going to be a fall off to some extent. It will be curious to see how they get on losing Steve Mandanda, who's been such a figurehead for them for so many years. I would say look out um, in more ways than one for Isaac Toure, who is an absolutely enormous young defender who they've signed from La who I believe was sent off actually in the game against uh, AC Milan last night. Yeah, in this, um, so after coming off the bench. Coming off the bench. So <laughs> I'm not, I'm, you know, it remains to be seen how regularly he will play at the back, but I think uh, it's, it is important what Angus touched on losing uh, William Saliba, who was outstanding for them last season. They've got to sort that defence out. They've got um, problems in various areas of the park. I hope that they can continue to compete this season, but you just never know in Marseille. It's such an explosive place. Um, I was I was at the Velodrome in the last night of the season when they beat Strasbourg to to take second place. Just an incredible finish to the game. The atmosphere there is extraordinary on a big night. So it's going to be great in the Champions League nights, but let's hope that they can do something in Europe and continue to be there thereabouts at the top of the league table. What will the atmosphere be like on those big Champions League nights at the Stade Louis II, Luke? this season if Monaco make it yeah I mean first job is making it because this is where they were last year and uh, it all fell apart against Shakhtar uh, with that Ruben Aguilar own goal so yeah hopefully they make it this time it, it ultimately cost Kovac's job didn't it don't you think that I mean they they suffered the fallout from not qualifying for the next couple of months they were ready early like they are this year they've had seven friendlies I think more than anyone else to be ready for this playoff match but last season they didn't make it and it, it really hit them hard. What's at stake against PSV tomorrow night and then in a week's time? Yeah, I mean, it's been by Clement himself, he said it's a sprint within a marathon. So there's an understanding that these games here could, could make or break the season. I think in the first 
uh, eight games or seven games. I think they, they faced basically the last the the top six from last season. So as well as trying to get through these four Champions League ties, the league and fixtures are also really, really, really difficult for them. So it's a huge period and it's a bit of a make or break the season. They did start the preseason a week earlier this year than last year. They uh, have kind of highlighted that as well quite a lot, that we've learned from the mistakes of last season. We think last season we came back too late. We came back early this year and we're preparing uh, more rigorously for, for those first games. But yeah, the... The route there isn't easy. PSV Eindhoven were in their Europa League group, uh, group last year. Good, good side. Uh, whoever they face in the in the next round, if they do make it, it, it could be Benfica. Um, that's not an easy fixture. So yeah, I, I do agree that last year that that loss against Shakhtar did derail the, the full season. I mean, under Kovac up until uh, Christmas, he just found absolutely no rhythm at all. Um, and I think you can really attribute that to the mental effect of having missed out on that Champions League. Uh, group stage spot which they worked so hard the previous season to to almost get so um yeah sprint within a marathon huge few weeks coming up for monaco i think if they come out of it with a, a place in the champions league group stage and uh they're all thereabouts in the league um i think they'll, they'll have to be very very happy with that i think though that uh they are going to have to fight very hard because psv eindhoven who they play tomorrow night have have had a much better pre-season than they have and they, the last game they won was the, the, the Dutch Super Cup, 5-3 against Ajax. So they are coming into this almost firing on all cylinders, as whereas Monaco have not had quite that pre-season. However, the pre-season we do know is about building up fitness and about understanding what the coach wants. The good thing is with Monaco is I think Philippe Clement has now got his feet very much under the table. Uh, they were fantastic. I mean, they won nine matches in a row under him, which was, I think, a club record. Uh, or the, the one that they would have got in the end. I think Lons typically ended um, that uh, hunt, um, but they were unbeaten in that last 10 games until the end of the season. But of course, they would have been in the Champions League group stage automatically had they not conceded that last second equaliser. So it's a big ask for them to to come through again and do this. They have signed, and it's there haven't been too many movements in and out at, at Monaco, but Takumi Minamino, the Liverpool, uh, ex-Liverpool now, striker, the Japan international, who are fans of uh, the Socceroos and Australian football fans will know well because he, he qualified Japan for directly for the World Cup and meant Australia had to uh, go through the agony of the playoffs. This is a personal sidebar, everyone, as you can, can well imagine. But Minamino, Andy, what do, what do you know about him? What do you expect from him uh, to, to arrive? Because there are a couple of Japanese players arriving now. Rance have signed one as well, a winger, Junior. So... Can we expect uh, big things from him? From Minamino? Um, yeah, I mean, I think we we certainly, the expectation is that he will have an impact because he did well enough in England to get the move to Liverpool in the first place. Um, and um, he wasn't really able to make a huge impact at Anfield because of all the competition for places in Jurgen Klopp's squad. He was very much a bit part player there. Um, I think he was a, a very fine player at Salzburg before that, if I'm not mistaken. I can't quite remember... A, what happened last week these days, never mind what happened uh, a couple of years ago. But, but um, no, but I think, I think Minamino is, is, is an exciting addition. I mean, it, it remains to be seen if it's um, going to be a, a gamble that, that doesn't quite pay off um, or if he can really establish himself in that side. I mean, obviously, the big, uh, the big thing at Monaco is the fact they've lost Aurelien Chouameni, who was just a, a fantastic, a real Rolls-Royce midfield player um, and already now a key part of the France side. And he's going to remain that going into the World Cup. They sold him to Real Madrid. And so the question is, how do they replace him 
in central midfield and, and maybe Luke can, can, can tell us a bit more about that. I know that Paul Mitchell has been, the sporting director at Monaco has been looking for the replacement for, um, for Aurelien Chouameni in that midfield and that's where they need to, to strengthen um, more than anywhere else because in attack, you know, they bring Minamino in but they have plenty of options anyway with Sam Ben Yedder, Kevin Folland and all the rest. So uh, they need depth, of course, because they're, they're attacking the season on, on several fronts with the Champions League qualifiers as well as the league but they they also need to make sure there's not too big a drop down in quality in in midfield when they've lost uh, many. I just can't hard to really for anybody who's not seen many from week to week. You know what an absolutely tremendous player he is, and what a player he's going to become in the years ahead. You know anyone in France who's worried about Paul Pogba um, on the decline, that kind of thing, suffering injuries and so on. Well, you've got many, but sadly for Monaco, they don't have him anymore. Yeah, I mean, you talk about a lot about that that forward line, and I mean, they've also brought in Brie Lambolo from Borussia Mönchengladbach, so they're, they're well, well stocked in that forward line. But yeah, they've sold Tremeni, not replaced him yet. But the fact that you went for 100 million, I think, is quite indicative of the market for number six. Is there aren't many elite ones out there, so when one comes along, you have to pay for them, um, and that is maybe a slight issue. There's been a lot of talk about Bubakari Samare, who obviously ex Lille. Uh, went to Leicester last summer, uh, hadn't, hasn't quite worked out for him so far, but there's talks of him being uh, going on a permanent transfer potentially to Monaco. That seems like the, the big one. There's also been rumours about Amadou Onana. Uh, Philippe Clement said he's a big fan of the player previously, said he tried to sign him whilst at Bruges before he went to Lille. Uh, and then there's another kind of unknown at Palmeiras down in, in, um, in Brazil, uh, Danilo, who's been linked a little bit as well. But I think... Um, I think it was Clement who said that he's irreplaceable. You're not going to be able to replace too many. So there's uh, kind of uh, an insinuation that everyone else in the in the squad will have to step up their level to kind of breach that that, that deficit between uh, you know before and after too many. Um, and at least for the first games of the season, there could be a chance for the young Elliot Matazo. Um, looks like he could get a few games um, because currently there isn't really anyone else to to fill that hole. Massive match. Tuesday night, 2000 Central European time, AS Monaco versus PSV Eindhoven, their third round qualifying tie, but some big matches already early on this season. As Luke said as well, Monaco then take on Paris Saint-Germain in this month of August as well at the Parc des Princes. So there are some big matches coming up in the league and on the continent. You're listening to Luke Entwistle, Angus Tarode, Andy Scott, and myself, Robbie Thompson, on Le Beau Jeu. Get involved, follow us, listen on your podcast platform, give us a rating, and it's time for a little deja vu because that was the top three from last season. We are then going to have a look at maybe the outsiders, or maybe I'm being a little bit harsh on the likes of Rennes, Lyon, Lille, Nice even. We're going to run the rule over them, Lens as well. But uh, we're now going to go to our regular competition, the deja vu, your chance to win. Now, this year, as we've mentioned, there have been plenty of changes. It's a new era for Le Beaujeu, a new era for Paris Saint-Germain and French football. We're giving away a league and jersey every month to go into the draw to win. You not only have to answer one of the month's deja vu's correctly, but in the last episode of every month, there's going to be a bonus question that you have to get right to go in to the draw for the ultimate prize. So we're going to start with an easy one. First up, gentlemen, listening. Luke, Angus, Andy, do not answer. You can pretend you know the answer. That's fine. Angus, I hope you've learned the lessons from last year and, and you don't need to be quite so honest. <laughs> Here we go then. I'm like, 
Monaco, the F1 driver, just can't help just laying it out there. <laughs> okay, so it's an easy one to start this new season. Who am I? A retired former France international. I played for four different clubs in France and four different clubs in England. And I was named Footballer of the Year in both countries. During a 17-year professional career, I won one Ligue 1 title, the Coupe de France, the Coupe de la Ligue, as well as the English League Cup. A powerful, skillful player, I made over 600 first-team and European appearances, netting over 100 goals. But not everyone was a fan of mine, especially not Gerard Houllier. Who am I, and what did Gerard Houllier hold against me? That's what you have to answer to go into the draw to win our first Ligue 1 shirt of August. Gentlemen, I think that's an easy one, but what do, you, what do we think, Andy? Uh, I've got a couple of ideas, but I'm not certain. Um, the, the thing, the, the, the Gerard Houllier thing is, is, is um, in a way, a little bit of a curveball because Houllier was the manager of teams in France and England, so, you know, it, it makes you wonder who that could be. I've got a couple of ideas. Angus? 100% know who that is, no doubt in my mind. You <laughs> love it, love it, Angus. <laughs> Luke? <laughs> I'm going to go in with the same confidence as Angus. <laughs> Fantastic. Good one, gentlemen. Well, I appreciate Andy's honesty and I appreciate the gamesmanship of, of, of Luke and Angus as well. Let's keep moving then. Who are your outside picks? Now, we can't go through every club in the same detail as we have the, the top three so far. So I'm just going to give a, a brief outline of the clubs that, when I was doing the rundown, I thought were more or less outsiders for European places. The clubs that were in the hunt, at least to the end of last season. Rennes, they've re-signed their coach, Bruno Genesio, for another couple of seasons. They've lost Matisse Tell, of course, to, to Bayern Munich, who I, I'm not sure how many people really knew about Matisse Tell uh, in terms of fans, of overseas fans of, of French football anyway, but he was clearly a very highly rated youngster. Naïf Aguerd has left as well. Jonas Martin left on a free. Lea Saliki's gone. But they've brought in Steve Mondonda. He's the only big signing at the moment, as far as I can see, for Rennes. They finished fourth last season. They've got ambition. Are they moving in the right direction? I'm going to keep going before I, I jump and let you all in. Leon, very disappointing campaign last season. They've brought back some of the prodigal sons. Tolisso is, is back. Lacazette as well. Um, they've lost Leo Dubois. Emerson's gone and Dombelli, who were a couple of lone players last season to try and help dig them out of the hole. Um, not that much has changed at Lyon. We saw that they struggled a little bit in pre-season as well. They got a, a good win at the end over Feyenoord to set them up for... for and then a 2-2 draw, I think it was, with Inter Milan in their last friendly. So they're there as well. Nice, we've touched on briefly already. New man at the helm or old man returning. Lucien Favre is back for his second spell. He took them to third in the league a few seasons ago, Lucien Favre. He, he had a great campaign with Nice before heading off to the, the lures of Bundesliga. Um, nice are a side that we know as well. A very ambitious Christophe Galtier. It didn't work out for him there. Not much action in the transfer market for them so far, but plenty of talk that Kasper Schmeichel could be on his way to, uh, to Nice, they have, of course, lost Walter Benitez, their Argentine goalkeeper. But we know that Lucien Favre is, uh, is a good coach. We know that he can work wonders with the side. And I've already seen a couple of his press conferences 
this preseason as well. He is really a breath of fresh air. He's so honest, gentle and nice. He clearly loves his football. It's a, a fantastic man to have back in French football. Lille, new man at the helm there in uh, Paolo Fonseca, coaching them. Um, and Lens, not too much has changed there for, for the, the Racing Club of Lens, who finished seventh last season. They've lost Jonathan Close, as we mentioned, to Marseille. But otherwise, for the moment, they've kept on to, to, to most of their big guns. So, gentlemen, that's who I would say. I've left out Strasbourg for the moment. But uh, what do you think of those four or five sides? Andy, we'll go, we'll go to you first. What are you expecting from, from the outsiders? <clears throat> Uh, I think the most interesting one is is probably Olympique Lyonnais because um, obviously they had such a disappointing season last year. They have decided to keep hold of Peter Bosch as their manager, which some people will have been surprised about. Um, I, I mean, obviously we we you don't know what's going to happen. Lyon have sort of gone from very bad to very decent uh, from season to season over the last few years. They've made a couple of really interesting signings. Bringing back Alexandre Lacazette and Corentin Tolisso is very interesting. It's not always a good idea to bring players back. It is happening a little bit more now, though, in uh, in, in football around lots of countries in Europe that players are going back to clubs where they played previously because often what happens is, and it happened with Lacazette and Tolisso, they join a really, really, really top club. They struggle a little bit and then they're prepared to drop back down again and, 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 and try and kickstart things once more. So... You know, on paper, these are two guys who can really bring something to Lyon, but maybe both of them might have problems with injuries. Um, will they keep hold of Lucas Paqueta? That's another question mark over the next few weeks. But on paper, I would say that given what's happened at Marseille, given um, what's happened at Rennes, because Rennes have lost Nayef Aguerre, who's a really exceptional player in the heart of their defence, they're struggling to replace um, him at centre-back. They seem to be throwing the checkbook at just any defender they can buy at the moment. So a bit of a question mark about how that will turn out. Nice as well. We don't really know what's happening with them in terms of recruitment. And they, they do have a lot of improvement that is needed after last season when they were a bit turgid. So I think that when you look at it on paper, you would say that Lyon are the obvious ones that can really climb up there and compete for a Champions League qualification, especially without having any European football. So I'd look out for them this season. They've got a huge budget compared to most clubs in France, except for PSG. Um, they should be the favourites to finish in the top three. I think it's going to be a really interesting battle for the, 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 the European places again. And you mentioned clubs like Lens and Strasbourg. I just wonder if teams like them might find themselves dropping back down a bit because ultimately we are seeing this uh, middle class really emerging in France now where you know clubs like Nice and, and Rennes and uh, Lille maybe not so much but these are clubs who are really battling to to establish themselves as European contenders I think it is going to be harder for teams like Lens and Strasbourg who can't keep hold of their best players year on year so yeah Olympique Lyon are the ones for me that we need to look out for in, in, in the season ahead Angus what do you reckon? I think for Lyon uh, a lot depends on whether or not their Lucas Pacata actually survives the, uh, the transfer window because they already Last season, lost Memphis Depay, and they really struggled to deal with him leaving the club. Lucas Pacatart And Guimaraes as well, also left in, in that midfield as well. To Newcastle United. So they are, if they keep stripping out, effectively, their best creative players, and I think they are going to struggle to be in that um, Champions League struggle. I like the look of Wren. I think Bruno Genesio has got his uh, feet under the table really well. They finished well last season. They were actually in Champions League contention on the last day of the season although it was a little bit of a, probably a, a long shot for them. I like Strasbourg as well, because I'm a big fan of Julian Stefan. 
And despite the fact that um, what they say, I think all the clubs, to be honest, that aren't Paris Saint-Germain are always a little bit uh, a hostage to uh, transfer speculation. But Julian Stefan was fantastic at Rennes. He took them into the Champions League. He nearly did it again last season. In very early on in his campaign for Strasbourg, he's turned them into a wonderfully attacking outfit with the likes of Kachi and uh, the, the, um, Dimitri Lienar had a fantastic season last campaign as well. And I think for Rennes, if uh, Martin Terrier manages to continue his wonderful scoring form, backed up by um, Gaetan Laborde, who was a wonderful addition to their attack last season, and Benjamin Borrigeau, who was one of the great secret uh, revelations, I think, um, last season, then I think, to be honest with you, that third um, Champions League place is going to be between Strasbourg and Rennes. And that assumes, I think, Monaco will finish second. Strong, strong what? words, Angus, for, for Strasbourg. They have brought in Colin Dagba on loan from PSG at right back. I think uh, Cassie has actually left. I think he's headed to German football. Yes. Now, they lost Fred Gilbert as well, who's gone back to, to Aston Villa on loan. But they have brought in Thomas Delaine from, uh, from Metz, who was a, an underrated fullback flyer, I think. They've, they've signed a couple of players on permanent deals as well. Aulu has finally gone back officially from Monaco. And uh, Perrin as well, the Marseille central defender. So they, they are building on working on what, they're, what they've done in previous seasons under Julien Stefan. Luke? I'm going to come with you with something slightly different. I want to talk you to talk about the ventre mou. And uh, maybe you can just explain to us, what is the ventre mou? It's not a Mourinho vent <laughs> or, or, or anything. It's when but Angus the, takes, it's takes the... his uh, monocle top off and waves it around. <laughs> <laughs> That's, is that when we're going to see a ventre mou? <laughs> okay, my, my clubs in the ventre mou, Luke, I've got at the moment the likes of Nantes, Brest, Clermont, Lorient, Reims, Troyes. Montpellier, who can always do a little something, and they've signed a couple of interesting players as well. Khazri, Nordin, uh, Faitou Mawassa. Um, Angers are in the ventre mou for the moment, even though they've basically sold their entire squad, and I predicted them for the drop last season. Surely they are going to struggle with three teams going down plus one playoff. So four teams, four straight down and two up, Andy's telling me. Okay, so four straight down, two up. It wasn't the season to go down to Ligue 2 for Bordeaux and Saint-Étienne, because it's going to be very hard to get back up. But it's certainly a real threat for all these clubs. Luke, how do you how do you see the soft stomach uh, of, of Ligue 1? <laughs> I see a few of them really struggling, yeah. I mean, the four going down is a massive thing. I mean, that's what a fifth of the league are, are going to get relegated this year. Uh, I have um, Clermont down to potentially go down this year. Um, I think they're going to really struggle. With yeah, Max I think they're going to struggle. Max Gonalon, I think has come the back. sale of Mohamed Bayo to Lille, I think, will uh, will prove their undoing. Well, they had to sell, but I, I think uh, that might be an issue for them. So I've, I've them as struggling. Same with Angers. Um, as you say, they've sold so much, so many players this this, uh, this summer that I see them struggling. I also see Montpellier. I think I'm really quite a fan of their business. I don't think they're going to get into those European spots, but I think they will be upper mid-table and, and pretty comfortable. And I have Brest actually as a bit of an outside shot to surprise people a little bit and uh, have a, a very comfortable season at least, but maybe uh, push on to the next level. I really like uh, Lisa Melu coming back into the league. Uh, I think that could be a really shrewd signing. And uh, a bit of a left-field uh, kind of surprise of the season could be uh, Karimoko Dembele, who's come from Celtic, who 
people remember he burst on the scene. I think he was about 13 years old at the time and played for the uh, the Celtic under 19 or under 21 side. Everyone was speaking about him, not heard about him since, and he's arrived there under free. So I think that it's a bit of a sink or swim transfer, but I think that could really work out very nicely for them. And I see them, uh, yeah, improving on, on last season's uh standings and I also quite like Rance as well I think I think they could push on despite losing Ekatike I think they could have a good season now there we have spoken about 17 sides albeit uh rather briefly for some of them there are three other teams who are returning to the top flight in French football the Ligue 2 champions were Toulouse are they a side that could potentially surprise and 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 cause an upset or two they have the English forward, the youngster Reese Healy. They have the Australian midfielder, of course, in uh, Denis Genreau, who's uh, played off the bench. But above all, and I, and I say this without any chauvinistic comments, they have Branko van den Boomen. And what a star he has been as well. Andy, Toulouse, it's not a, a big football town traditionally. We remember their side that did play European football with the likes of El Monde and, and when Gignac finished top scorer, I think, of, of Ligue 1 with with Les Violets, but uh, is this the glory days of Damien Camoli working his magic and bringing Toulouse back to the top? Well, I think anybody, I think probably most of our listeners know a bit about um, what's happened at Toulouse in the last couple of years because they, they've, they've uh, to the backstory is they were taken over by an American investment for Redbird Capital Partners. That was in 2020 after they were relegated at the end of the, the COVID season. Um, and, and they immediately set about restructuring the club, bringing in, Damian Komoli, obviously a man who's who's worked at Liverpool and Tottenham and 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 lots of other clubs around Europe in the, in the last um, fifteen years or so, bring him in to recruit the players and 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 he has this you know people talk about data as though data is something that is not used by anybody else but they have a different approach to signing players you know they 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 look at different aspects of a player's personality performance and they cast the net further you know wider than than most clubs when it comes to signing players. So they brought in players from the Netherlands, uh, from Norway, from from far and wide. They've got this really cosmopolitan squad. Australia, Andy. Australia. Australia. Australia is a long way away, far, <laughs> far and wide. And 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 they, they have this they have this um they've developed a team with with Philippe Montani at the helm. They were obviously very worthy champions of the second tier last season. You know, they're ambitious, um, I think it's fair to say. I think that of the promoted clubs they uh, and logically, having won the title in the second tier, they look the best place to go on and, and, and establish themselves again in Liga. It's a big city, even though it's not a football city. Occasionally, they get really big crowds there because the, suddenly the city get, comes out and gets behind them. Um, the backers, Redbird Capital Partners, recently, actually at the end of last season, agreed to buy AC Milan. So, you know, you you wonder maybe where their focus is in in, in footballing terms. But but you know, Toulouse are an ambitious club. Uh, some really interesting players in Branko van den Bomen. Um, was the star man in the second tier last season. He came from the Grafskap in, in the Dutch second division, but he was the League 2 player of the year last season. 12 goals and 21 assists. So, um, you know, let's see if he can carry that on to the, to the top level. There, there have been some questions about whether they'll keep hold of all these players who helped them come up from the second tier, whether Van den Bomen and Rhys Healy um, and all the rest of them would stay. But obviously they're looking to strengthen. I, I think they'll be fun. I think if you're talking about a surprise package, um, I think it could be fun, and that would be a nice change because I think for so many years Toulouse, it was always kind of dreaded having to to commentate Toulouse. Really, you know, a, a game at Le Stadium in front of a three quarters empty stadium. They weren't a very exciting team to watch for quite a long time. 
but I think they could be fun coming back up. So, um, you know, I, th I think when you talk about the ventre mou, which I think in, in English we translate in a rather more mundane way as the kind of mid-table mediocrity, I think they'd be happy with that. And I think, I think they can, I think they'll be fine this season. Angus, with Andy's mentioned a side that could possibly surprise Luke as well with calling out Brest as a, a possible surprise packet. We have these sides every season that at least until Christmas, although Christmas this year is going to be a little bit different. There's going to be football all through the Christmas New Year period. There's going to be a month off just before Christmas as well with the World Cup in, in Qatar. So it is going to be a, a different type of season this year, as Andy mentioned at the top of the show. But there is always one or two clubs that really surprise and that are up there near the top of the table for the first four, three, four months of the, of the campaign. Often I, I think of the likes of Montpellier or Angers who have, who have done it in the past. Could Auxerre or Auxerre, as it's actually pronounced in France, and, and Angus, I know you lived there, you're an old Auxerre fan going, going way back. They had a fantastic side in the mid-1990s. Angus, your team is back, Auxerre, about an hour and a half south of, 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 of Paris in Burgundy. They are back in the top flight. Jean-Marc Furlan is the man that, that brought them back. Are they here to stay, and can they? turn a trick or two well yes the Chablis has certainly been uh, going down a few throats since they uh, were promoted back up to the uh, top flight it's been a decade since they were in it they've had nine coaching changes which for a team like Auxerre when you consider that they had one coach from the 1960s on and off all the way until the early 2000s is a, a bit of a culture shock for them the great Guy Roux of course I was living there when they won the double back in 1996 and there was some heady times indeed in, uh, in Burgundy and they struggled after Guy Roux left. He came back a couple of times as a result of those struggles, but it never was quite the same thing again. But Jean-Marc Ferlat uh, was a very astute, I think, uh, appointment because he'd already been at the head of several promotions since then. He brought Brest up, um, which was uh, one of his great things. And of course, Brest are still in the, uh, the top flight. He also brought Troyes up as well. And... Uh, so he's got a proven record of um, being able to bring people up. I think the big thing here is, yes, Robbie. I was just going. I was just going to jump in and say you're you're spot on with Jean-Marc Furlan, except that he has really struggled in the top flight. He's been he's been wonderful at bringing clubs up, but also players through. Many players say that he's he's like a guru for them, uh, uh, someone who's really inspired them and brought them through. Critics of Jean-Marc Foulon say he's a bit like a guru and a little bit dangerous. And, uh, and I guess that's the thing with gurus. You either love them or, or, or don't work with them. But his results at lower level have been fantastic. Is it a risk having him now? I mean, it's hard to sack the man that's brought you up. I appreciate, I appreciate that. But can he now take off there? I mean, he's been there for a while now, hasn't he? Yeah, so, well, I mean, Guy Roux was, uh, you could look at him as a guru as well, to be quite honest with you. And in, ultimately, it didn't do Osea much harm with that, they, they went into Europe. They were a danger in Europe. They won the, uh, the, the Coupe de France a couple of times. I, I think that um, the three of them, I think two of them at least, will go down. Uh, you've got Toulouse and Auxerre, who were the top scorers in uh, Ligue 2, but I don't think that's enough in the top flight. Ajaxio are the really interesting ones in that equation. They only conceded 19 goals in their, what, 38 games. 38, 38 games yeah. last season. And that is an astonishing record of uh, being tight at the back. 
and they're going to need that uh, when they uh, they come into this uh, top flight because even if they double that mark that would probably be enough to keep them up but the Jaxo is going to be all about defense i think that the toulouse and Auxerre are going to be probably relying on their attacks we have just passed the hour mark or just about of of le Bourgeois. so we are going a little bit long last team to have a look at and this is a a curveball to throw to luke because as angus just said they're a curious one i Ajaxio or Ayachu, as it's known, since we're giving cor- correct pronunciations in in the course language, Ayachu were for so long the second club of Corsica, of Corsica behind Bastia, who of course had a fantastic uh, European campaign in the late 1970s as well. Ajaxio, Luke, do you know anything of, about this uh, this side that d- did wonderfully well last year, and they've brought in a couple of of big names, if not so much the en- wrong end of their career. I mean, Roman Hamuma has gone there now out of contract at Saint-Étienne and Thomas Mongani, one of the, the many exodus from, from Angers, but a, a Corsican uh, going back, Thomas Mongani as well, came through the ranks at Monaco. Can we expect anything from, from Ajaxio or, or are they just cannon fodder? Um, not cannon fodder, but as we've said about the amount of teams coming down, anyone coming up could go down. I mean, uh, I quite like Thomas Mongani coming in. Um, I think they kind of bring in a lot of proper league and experience and uh, they will need that having not necessarily been in, in the league for a little bit i mean i i know from my my youth last year a little bit more than than ajaxio uh incorrect pronunciation but um yeah i i, I think <laughs> they'll be uh in that fight but i don't think they're one of those ones that i think yeah they're definitely going down i think they'll be fighting until the end to, to stay in the league i think andy people that don't know too much about ajaxio what can you what can you tell us about this side that made a bit of a splash, didn't they, with with uh, Adrian Mutu <laughs> uh, a few years back? He was one of the players that signed there, the Mexican goalkeeper as well. Um, That's right. Who who was a fan, fantastic keeper whose name just Guillermo me at the Ochoa. Moment. Why is Guillermo that? Ochoa. Ochoa. Yeah. That's right. Had a, had a fantastic World Cup in Brazil. That's right. As he, well. he really did. Ochoa. He really did a fantastic World Cup. I was actually at the uh, Brazil Mexico game in Fortaleza in 2014 when he just produced the yeah. most astonishing performance. And and he and of course those of us who commentated Ligue 1 a decade ago remember fondly always being asked to commentate Ajaxio because um, every single Ajaxio game was broadcast live because of Ochoa. Um, for, exactly. the, for the Hispanic audience in the United States, I believe it was principally. Uh, obviously, very a very different team now, much more modest. I mean, Ajaxio is a very small club, you know. I mean, a stadium that holds less than ten thousand. It's a small town. It's a small as well. town. It's, so, yeah. I mean, it's a beautiful part of the world in there in Corsica, on the kind of southwest coast of Corsica. I think it is uh, Ajaxio, and it's going to be it's going to be fun to see them welcoming the likes of Messi, Neymar, and Mbappe this season. But I mean, they are going to struggle. You know, they they had a brilliant defensive record last season. They didn't score many goals, but they won promotion. Great for them to be there. I think really they need to look at this as an opportunity to, you know, take the money that comes with being in the top flight, try to try to strengthen their structure as a club, perhaps go back down again and come back stronger in the future. But I mean. You know, we'll come back to it again. There's going to be four teams going down at the end of the season. I, I, I am looking at the clubs in Ligue 1 and I think there are half a dozen who will be in that dogfight. And I'm looking at Ajaxio, Angers, Auxerre, Clermont, Lorient and Troyes and maybe one or two others. And I think it's going to be an absolute dogfight to avoid relegation this season. But I can't see Ajaxio staying up. I could be wrong, but I can't see it. Keep your powder dry, Andy, because I'm about to ask you 
exactly that question. Who are your favourites across the board? And it's possible that the relegation dogfight, which was a thrilling one this year as well, with so many twists and turns towards the end, could uh, once again be be more intriguing, more indecisive than the, the battle for the championship. Perhaps it's time for for what the you, our listeners, look forward to, but what our panellists hate, which is uh, the moment we ask them to predict the future, get out the crystal ball and see what's going to happen. We're going to go to the first topic, which is who will finish champions, brackets, who will finish second? Because uh, it's uh, it, there's a, a very good chance that we'll have a 100% response for this one, for who will beat champions. Luke, in two words, first and second. Angus. Oh, say a Claremont. No, I'm joking. <laughs> Paris Saint-Germain, obviously. And I, I, I think I already mentioned it earlier in the podcast, Monaco. Okay, so double. Andy? Uh, yeah, P- I mean, PSG will win the league. And um, I, I probably agree that Monaco, I think, are the best place to finish second. Okay, very good. I will um, try and think of something different then. PSG, obviously, going to be champions. Uh, can I see a surprise? Uh, no, Monaco do look strong, don't they? I think just the fact that they built on the second half of last season. I think it all. It, perhaps I will reserve judgment on Monaco's chances of finish second, depending on what happens in the next two weeks in their in their Champions League qualifiers, because they will have. And perhaps we talk about the World Cup being mm. a a perturbing factor. Perhaps the World Cup could just be the salvation of Monaco, who have had a a big preseason are ready to go now and have the opportunity to have a little rest and then a second pre-season in the middle of the campaign. It might just be the, the thing that gets them across the line, Angus. Of course, Monaco have been very quiet on the uh, transfer front at the moment, and I wouldn't mind betting that they're waiting to see what happens out of mm-hmm. that, that Champions League playoff to see how big they're going to go on the transfer market afterwards. Um, as for my second possibility at second place, I'm going to go with Olympic Lyonnais. I think it could happen for them. I think there's there's pressure. I think they're a club that that know what it takes. There's a little bit of money about, and uh, and I think it's now or never. The women won the Champions League again last season. I'm not suggesting the men will do likewise, but there is pressure on that club to get it right. So surprise team we've mentioned. We know Luke's going with Brest probably is the the surprise packet. That would be a big surprise. Luke, do you confirm your surprise packet for this season? I do confirm Brest as the surprise package. Also, I think Ren could get that final place on the podium. I'm not sure how big a surprise that would be, but I think they're pretty well placed to do that. Angus, surprises? Strasbourg. I think that uh, they showed enough last season to suggest that they can be in the mix. They were in the mix for a while. Uh, maybe they just lacked a little bit of depth in the end, but I think that a second season for Julian Stefan, I think that uh, they could well be in the fight for Champions League action next next season Andy Andy who's your surprise uh, I think Toulouse I think um, just because it could go in, in any direction I think um, but I, th- I think they could be worth watching that's the thing about French football at the start of every season aside from from Paris Saint-Germain who start so far out in front as favourites there really is a, an, 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 a huge list of clubs that could that it could work or not work I mean there have been so many changes at Lille I don't know if we've, we've talked about the ins and outs at that club but Checker, Yilmaz, Selic, Botman, they've all, they've all gone. They've brought in a couple of players, Remy Cabela, for example, but but who knows how that's going to stick. Uh, my surprise, I'm going to go with Montpellier. 
because they're a club uh, I like. I know that uh, Brest have the the Pirates nickname, but I like Montpellier as a, as a team of Pirates as well. And I read a very funny tweet uh, in the last couple of days about how the Montpellier players are going to all show up for the first three games of the season with with bleached blonde hair and super tans because, well, that's what the south of France is like at this time of year. And Montpellier embrace that. And I love the way they embrace the, the their southern culture. That's a common thing. It's been like the Romanians at the World Cup. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. Relegation teams. Now, we know there are four going down. The league is changing to 18 clubs next season. I'll only ask you to pick two. But who are your two dead set kiss of death certs to go down? We're going to mix it up this time. Angus, you're in the hot seat. You go first. I can't see Claremont surviving again. I think they uh, they probably used up all of their lucky feet last uh, last season. Uh, I think they're going to go down and Ajaxio. Yeah, I think you're pretty pretty close there. Well, to be two of the four anyway. Andy. Yeah, I agree. Actually, I mean, I, I gave a list before, but I think um, I, do, I do think that Ajaxio and Claremont are, the, are two very strong contenders to go down. Luke, you mentioned Clermont as well. What do, do you agree with that? Yeah, Clermont, maybe Oxer could could also be uh, my second choice. So yeah, Ajaccio, Lorient, there's a few that you can go for that I think will be really, really struggling this year. Okay, so Paris Saint-Germain champions, Clermont finishing rock bottom and going down. A couple of surprises in the mix as well. Player of the year, Kylian Mbappe, obviously. Do we need to uh do we do we need to 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 throw that one out there? Andy, I, I, I do think that it is, it is worth emphasizing this again. That the, the fact that the World Cup is coming in November could change a lot of things this season. And I mean, even we say that Monaco might be favorites to finish second. The Champions League group stage, all six match days are compressed into a really short period because the, the, the group stage actually finishes in early November, whereas usually it would be mid-December, right? So you've got this situation now where the clubs playing in the Champions League are going to be having a tough time of it from September to November. A guy like Kylian Mbappe is going to be playing an awful lot of football in that period. Then there's the World Cup. So it could change things, right? I mean, we, we, you talked about the ventre mou being an expression, another expression which the French have uh, taken on is talking about uh, le, le, le Boxing Day and deciding that Boxing Day is basically any day roughly in the period between it's Christmas a week. and year. And, <laughs> exactly. And, and, and there are getting, so coming back from the World Cup, there's a round of fixtures on the 28th of December and another one set for New Year's Day, which is unheard of here in France. Usually it's the winter break. So basically, there's an awful lot of things that could be very different this year. And, you know, Kylian Mbappe is the best player in Ligue 1. But who knows what's going to happen? Who knows what's going to happen? Angus, best player? Right, if he stays fit, Neymar. Mm, good, I like it. Because he, he's a player that gets a lot of stick. Not all of it undeserved from what he's shown since arriving in French football. But you ask anyone at Paris Saint-Germain, when you watch him at training, any player who is the most talented player you have ever played against, who have you seen at training, is Neymar every time. He is, he is an incredible footballer. And you can see it even last night where he does some, some frustrating things in his football. His first touch, his vision, his ideas, it's always, it's always spectacular. But one thing he doesn't have, which Killian has, is power. And that's uh, that's so important in modern football. Yes, but the thing is, he's got Mbappe there as well, whom he will be supplying with ammunition. He's got Messi there as well. I think Messi and Neymar are now showing signs that they are refinding that chemistry they had at Barcelona. I'm, 
like I say, he's just got to play more. Yeah, absolutely. Luke, player of the year? I'll go slightly more left of field and I'll go for Lovro Meyer at, uh, at Ren. Really enjoyed watching him last year. Um, I think it probably will be a PSG player, but just to keep it outside of PSG. But I think outside of that, I think this could be a really big year for him that he really kind of explodes onto the scene. Um, needs to add a bit of uh, finish into his game, but I think he has the, the potential to really make a next step and uh, potentially get a big move at the end of next year. So nobody going with my favourite player, Marco Verratti, who will also not be going to the World Cup, so he can have a second pre-season himself. That could or could not be a good thing for Marco Verratti. I'm not sure. A little bit too much uh, spare time on his hands, but hopefully he will he will be the man with those players behind him and in front of him. This could be his season to to really shine as well. Okay, surprise player. We do this every year. I think last year I went with um, Ganago at 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 Lens to be my my surprise packet. I'm not sure who picked uh, Etiquite Etiquite, but. Uh, he, he was probably the man. Who, uh, Andy, your surprise player of this coming season? Yeah, well, I'm going to say Branko van den Boomen because if he stays at Toulouse and given that he was so good in, in, in the second division, if he can make the step up, then he could have uh, have an impact, especially because, precisely because uh, other, other clubs and players will not be used to him. So uh, he could be one. To, I'm talking a lot about Toulouse, am I? But, but I, I'm, I'm looking forward I, I, to seeing him. I think him. they could be a surprise as well. I like, I like the looks of them. I think Philippe Montaigne yeah. is a fantastic coach as well. Angus. Yeah, and I, oh, and I, yep. can, I just, can I just very briefly mention as well, Mohamed Bayou at Lille. I think not that he's a surprise player, but I think uh, that's going to be interesting because I imagine Lille's idea is that they will eventually sell on Jonathan David for a lot of money and Bayou will become the main man. And um, any chances that Lille have of, of having a good season he, he, he's going to have to step up. So I'd look out for him as well. Their strikers have been stars of the show in recent years, haven't they? I mean, from Aussie men, mm. Burak, uh, you know, Jonathan David, they've had players that have, that have scored goals when they need to, mm-hmm. that, have, that have caught the eye. Angus? Um, well, I, it's always dangerous to say this with surprise players when you've still got quite a lot of time in the transfer window to, uh, to come up, so it could all fall flat. But um, Reese Everett-Healy, who was the, Bundes- who was the uh, league de... Uh, top scorer last season. Be fascinated to see how he gets on in the top flight in France. And of course, Gaetan Charbonnier as well, who was the second top scorer, former Brest man, who I think he was reasonably good for Brest when uh, they were in the top flight. And he was the absolute star of the show for Auxerre, bringing them up. So I'll go for for those two. Well, Gaetan Charbonnier, who's an ex-PSG Youth Academy player, is the the Jean-Marc Furlan of players. (laughs) He is spectacular in Ligue 2. Every season he goes down to Ligue 2. He, he finishes near the top of the goal-scoring charts. And uh, when he comes up, he finds the, the going a, a little bit more difficult in the top flight. But he's, he's getting a little long in the tooth now as well, uh, Charbonnier. I think he must be, be easily the wrong side of 30. He'll be feeding off that Lillian Laslande kind of aura when he comes up this time. Absolutely. But Luke, who, who do you think? For, and I can already see your surprise. Oh, I'm, I'm going to... I'm going to keep it to myself, but I think I can anticipate who your surprise player is going to be. Go. Karamoko Dembele. <laughs> okay. It w- Did it live up to it? Yep, absolutely. <laughs> it's, um, it could be one of those ones that he doesn't play a game or he plays every game and has a great season. Honestly, it could be one that looks absolutely ridiculous at the end of the season and everyone goes, who? Uh, but it also could really work out. Um, 
as you say, kind of before the end of the transfer window, it's always difficult to say. There's a few interesting things, rumours going around, things that are apparently close, close but there's um, rumours that following Balogun is, is on the verge of joining Rance, the very highly rated Arsenal striker on a loan deal. That would also be very interesting and not so much a surprise, but I think that Amina Guiri could really link together a full season of really consistent uh, form and have a very, very, very good season. Wouldn't be a surprise, but he's not yet shown the consistency uh, to have a full campaign of very, very high level. And I think this year could be his year to do that. Well, there are a few players that could yet surprise. Uh, it would be remiss of us not to, uh, for the moment anyway, bid a little league and farewell to two uh, players that uh, we've been commentating for well over a decade, who for the moment uh, are leaving League 1's stage. Fabian Lemoyne is out of contract and without a club at the moment. He's been linked to Gangon in the second division, but uh, he's left Lorient. And another Lorient man, Jeremy Morel, who at 38 years of age, the uh, Madagascar international who played for Marseille and Lyon um, and back at Lorient, is also currently training with uh, Concano, the, the, the small semi-professional club. Uh, so there we go. I think that's just about it. I think uh, we've covered pretty much everything in some pretty good detail as well. One thing remains to just have a quick look and a quick look ahead to uh, this weekend's opening round of fixtures. Then it all kicks off on Friday night with Leon against Ayachu. Uh, at 9pm local time. Saturday, uh, there are two games, Strasbourg versus Monaco, then Clermont, relegation fodder, taking on the might of Paris Saint-Germain. They're playing at home, though, So uh, and they did cause Paris a couple of problems well, last season. Uh, then on Sunday, full range of fixtures, finishing in the final match of the round, Marseille versus Reims. We've also got Auxerre against Lille. Uh, gentlemen, where are you looking to go? Luke, you first. Pick a game and tell us what you expect to happen. Uh, Toulouse-Nice, always like a newly promoted team at home. First game of the season. Not sure statistically, but I just feel as though uh, there's just always a higher chance of an upset there. So I'm... Uh, Banging on Toulouse, potentially causing a bit of an upset. First game of the season against Nice. Lucien Favre's first game back as well. So there's a lot going on there, a lot to be interested by. I think it's just going to be a really good match. Absolutely. It does look like a, an entertaining fixture, that one. Angus, to you, heading north by any chance? Um, actually, no. I am going to... Ah. It's what you define as north. Um, the German border, I think, is where I would uh, like to go. Strasbourg against Monaco. I think which will also, one, first of all, we'll test out whether or not I think that Strasbourg is going to be one of these uh, teams that can really challenge for Champions League. And also whether or not Monaco are going to have any chance of finishing second. I think it's a, a really, it's the biggest game of the round for me, that is, Strasbourg against, um, against Monaco. I'm a little bit surprised it's not the Sunday night game, to be quite honest with you. But uh, I think it's going to be a great game. I say are a big draw card. Andy, you were at the Velodrome for the final game of last season. You saw... What a place it can be when things go right. What are, what are you expecting this weekend, if that's where you're heading? In Marseille? Yeah. No, I'm no, 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 no. For me, for me, Ren Lorient, Brittany Derby, Galet Sossi, Steve Mondanda, new Lorient coach. That that's that's more interesting. Marseille against Rance doesn't really cut it for me. Steve Mondanda could be player of the season, a surprise player of the season if he uh, gets his chance between the sticks. He's certainly a, a player capable of it. 
They need to, that's what Ren need, isn't it? They need a commanding goalkeeper to step up and, and Mondanda, obviously, you know, he's he's not getting any younger, but um, he he's certainly got the experience and, and the quality. So now that, that that's the one for me. I think there'll be a great atmosphere at Razon Park for that one. I will be heading to the dead centre of France, to Clermont in the uh, CF63 region of France to take on Paris Saint-Germain. I remember I was in Montreal when uh, the Trophée des Champions saw Paris Saint-Germain play Leon and Zlatan Ibrahimovic injured himself in a challenge against Maxime Gonolon. And now uh, Gonolon is back. He was always a bit of a thorn in the side of PSG. He's back at Clermont and uh, I'm sure he'll be looking to make an impact as well on his return to French football. Gentlemen, I think we've uh, done the tour of the table, as we say in French as well, to keep our Frenchisms going. Uh, I'll bid you all farewell today. We'll see you back again next week to review all the action from round one. It will be Ian Holyman in the hot seat to uh, take you through all the action. Don't forget to get involved on uh, answering your deja vu, first and foremost, to go in the hunt for that shirt at the end of the month. And uh, Luke Entwistle, Angus Tarode, Andy Scott will uh, be giving you all shifts on the Twitter, the, the Le Bourgeois Ligue 1 podcast Twitter handle as well to uh, answer all the questions from the fans and uh, give your tips for the weekend's action. Gentlemen, thank you for joining me. Thank you very much. Pleasure. Pleasure. Thanks for coming back to Europe. <laughs> well, I'm not here for long. Three weeks and I'll be out of here again, heading back down under. But it is beautiful to be here. And uh, the idea of doing summer in Australia and then summer in Europe, it, uh, it's quite an attractive proposition. I should have tried it earlier. But here we go. That's it from me, Robbie Thompson. Then from the gentleman, we'll see you again next week. Le Bourgeois is back, and uh, it's a pleasure to be here. Bye-bye. Neymar still. Oh, my word, what a goal. Gotta be lovely finish. Ajax delivery again. Duzzi's header. And the finish at the near post from Lucas Paqueta. Outrageous goal from Gael Kakuta. Playing again. A goal Messi again, this time maybe Messi's done it!